Amen. You can be seated. Go ahead and take your Bible, if you will, to turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. A couple of announcements to give the church. Virginia Mitchum has long battled with leukemia and she'll be going into the hospital for two days tomorrow uh, undergoing some very important tests so let's remember to pray for Virginia Um, it was many months ago we stood before you telling you about uh, Tammy Ford and Tammy Ford at the time the news was shared to Pastor Alex and I um, of her cancer was given um, basically a 20% chance to live. Um, it's been many months and she's gone through uh, not only chemo, she has also an upcoming surgery soon, but I am thankful to report to you this morning that Tammy's basically been told and been given a good report she's going to live. Yeah, so some, some big-time good news. Certainly um, her test and what she has to undergo is not complete yet, but that is really good news. Um, so just remember uh, Tammy and uh, also obviously pray for Tim as they continue to uh, undergo that and of course with for Larry as his wife goes in Virginia tomorrow for those two days. Okay, here we are going to go this morning to Exodus chapter 20 and our text this morning will be verses 18 through 21. The scripture says this, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, and that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, We do give you thanks once again for the Lord's Day, where your people across the globe have gathered to worship and celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sin. This morning, we ask that your church will be built in the truths of the law and the gospel And God, we would ask that you would save any here this morning that do not know you. 
We pray for this and ask for this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pastor Alex, as he mentioned, read this morning from what is the largest and the longest treaty in Scripture given to us about sin. We have finished walking through the Ten Commandments, each commandment. And today, as Pastor Alex mentioned to you guys, um, we're going to look at very two important themes, two very important words that are important to God, um, law and gospel. This morning, I, I want you to know as we look at this, we're going to look at the law and the gospel this morning as it pertains to the unredeemed, those who we would call lost, those who are without Jesus, which, of course, um, as Pastor Alex read through, through the knowledge of sin comes every individual. The whole world finds itself accountable. And so that's going to be our focus. It's, it won't be... Of course, it's always applicable to the church, but we're going to look at the law and the gospel as it pertains to the unredeemed. Then next week, Pastor Alex was going to take us through looking at the, the law and the gospel for the redeemed, for God's people and God's church because they are still remain essential and they are important, of course, for God's uh, people to live on and to go by and to build their lives on. Now, we're at a very important moment here in Exodus chapter 20 in redemptive history. And we want to make note of that as we begin to dive into this text to, to talk this morning about the law and the gospel. We never want to lose sight of when we're reading the Bible or we're studying the Bible, no matter where we're at in Scripture, that ultimately, where we live in history, all of the Scripture and the covenants have been fulfilled through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, we know that the Bible is telling us one specific story. It is the story of redemption, and that story of redemption is found through the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. All of Scripture, as Jesus would tell his disciples from Luke chapter 24, is about himself. And so this story, and more of the story will unfold to us um, as we go along, as these people heard the story, um, come to them through the covenants. And the covenants in each individual covenant, depending on uh, the one that God gave to a certain man, told us more about the story of redemption. And covenant, if, for this morning's process and, and listening to, if you could just think of when you come across Scripture, the word covenant, you're thinking of a divine promise. So God had this covenant that he makes with Adam or in creation so that when 
man fell in sin, God made, of course, a promise to him. And as we're moving along, again, no matter where you are in, in the Bible, each of those covenants begin to tell us more about the redemptive story that, of course, is in Jesus. Um, as we move through this, we always want to remind ourselves of this, as Pastor Alex again read from the book of Romans. No man, no person in history, which would include the Old Testament, was justified by the law. All humanity was justified by faith in God's promise. Okay? So, let's, let's back up the story. Adam and Eve fall in sin, right? We, we, of course, know this through the federal headship of Adam. Adam was left responsible to this. And Scripture tells us, even in Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, because some of you might be sitting there saying, you know, the word covenant is not used that early. In the book of Hosea, it says in chapter 6, verse 7, that Adam had transgressed the covenant. And at that point, God then gave a divine promise that, of course, we know is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. At that point in history, here's what we know about the story. This fall that uh, affected both Adam and Eve, God would send a promise that one day a Messiah would come who would crush the head of the serpent, and that serpent, of course, represents Jesus, that Adam and Eve there were paying attention more, I'm sorry, not Jesus, but to Satan. They were paying attention to Satan. As a result of that fall, we know that sin and death entered into the world. When we get to Noah, which will be the next covenant, we see the, the fulfillment, the promise that's given there that is fulfilled in Jesus because all those that are in the ark are, are safe. Just as for us, all of us who are in Christ are, are safe, we're saved. There will one day be a new creation, as uh, was given to Noah. Of course, the fulfillment of that is the ultimate new creations of the heaven and earth. You move forward again in the redemptive story, and we come to Abraham. And Abraham's story is, is closely linked to the story of Moses as we began this study in the book of Exodus. We know that some of the promise that God made to Abraham is that he would make of him a great nation and that through his seed, which ultimately we know from Matthew chapter 1, comes Jesus, that all of the families on the earth would be blessed. We sit here in the enjoyment of the word of God because of the promise that God made to Abraham. But it's at this point that we want to make our attention to where God gives this to Moses that we want to begin to focus upon and again to learn 
what does it mean about the law and the gospel? Two very important terms to God, which should be very important, of course, to us. Because it's on this day, having completed the Ten Commandments, God is signifying that you are my people and this is my law for you. And we're not going to do this. Uh, we're stopping our, our, our sermon series on this. But if you were to move through the, the, like the next three or four chapters, God ratifies this covenant that he makes with Moses for God's people in the various explanations of, of course, the law. But this is the important thing for our study this morning. That centers or flows from the Ten Commandments. Now I want you to do this. Go back to chapter 19 of Exodus. Because this is really the setting. Chapter 19, um, well you would, you would go to verse 16. We're going to pick up at verse 17. And this is really kind of one pericope that would move us all the way through where I just closed us in chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. So this is what this is, all right? God before the people, and there's this, there's this mediator, of course, that is Moses. But this is how it begins, and I want us to take note of this so we can get our mind wrapped around what was taking place. Verse 17 of chapter 19. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the mountain trembled greatly. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder... Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down to Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So you see this picture of what's unfolding. Again, there are three groups. You have God, you have the people, and of course, you have Moses, who is really acting here, of course, as a mediator between God and the people. Let's pick up again at verse 20 of chapter 19. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. And let the priest who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. And so Moses went down to the people and told them. Now, 
from that movement that we see here in chapter 19, we then walk through, uh, of course, the Ten Commandments, which jump us to this last section where we're going to focus on law and gospel in verse 18 through 21. Notice the response that the people tell Moses in verse 19. You speak to God, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And then the mediator, Moses, tells them, listen, do not fear God. He's come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And then this section closes Again, that began back to chapter 19, verse 16, the people stood afar off. So it's as if they're moving away, having heard the voice of God from the top of that mountain where Moses and Aaron went, and the people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And I can't say this specifically now, but I believe this is the last time audibly that God's people will hear God he will only then speak of course to Moses and Moses stands as the mediator but here's what we want to note about this passage in verse 18 through 21 the people and rightly so are in fear and they tremble they're so frightened by hearing the voice of God, they know he's to be feared, and people are to be in fear of him in this, this sense. Our God is holy. Now Moses, of course, becomes the mediator the, between God and man, and it's there we get um, a type of shadow or picture of we know ultimately will be Jesus because the New Testament tells us there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But it's here through hearing the voice of God himself that the people greatly fear because they know that they're sinners and that they are sinful. It's from this point forward, of course, the law of Moses is written. Now, the theme of law and gospel in the Bible can be very confusing to some because within any Protestant groups, they have many views on it. I mean, there was a portion uh, in my life, particularly the Bible college that I went to, that says the law has nothing to do with people. Um, and so per perhaps based upon, uh, you know, what you've been taught through your life, that's part of the compulsion that we had um, as pastors to want to teach, spend a couple weeks on these truths known as law and gospel because God's law and God's gospel are things he loves. Things he loves. It is here, though, 
in this specific point in redemptive history where God will give his law for his people that a mediator is left. Of course, that man is Moses. And of course, the law of God has not only been written in the Ten Commandments, it's further explained. Now, there are three aspects to the law of Moses. All right? Three aspects of the law of Moses that are very important. There is the moral, there is the ceremonial, and there's the civic. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the ceremonial, which is basically the entire Levitical system and those things that you walk through in Deuteronomy and the book of Leviticus and the offerings, um, it's how they worship God. Those are done away with because they're fulfilled in who Jesus is and what Jesus did. The civic was for a nation. And though God's people were God's people as a nation, right? Those civic laws are fulfilled. And so they're never, ever done away with in this sense. But they have been fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus so that it's God's moral law that remains and is most important for us today. Particularly, certainly for all of us, if you are sitting here this morning in rejection of Christ and you do not know Jesus. The theme of law and gospel are throughout the Bible. There really is no pericope in Scripture that doesn't point us in the direction of God's law or move us in the direction of God's gospel. But even before the law was actually written, God's moral law existed. In Romans chapter 5, verse 14, the scripture tells us that death reigned from Adam to Moses, right? So it's through Moses that we get God's law, but yet there was this thing, of course, we know called sin that existed, and, and people died. Now pay attention to this very closely, because God's moral law is built in every person's DNA. The consciousness that there is a God or something greater is built within the minds of humanity. Now, that's not enough to save them. They need the gospel. And we know that people sear their consciousness and do all sorts of wicked things. But even the natural man, or those who are without Jesus, would say, boy, it's wrong to steal. It's wrong to murder. It's wrong to, to uh, commit adultery. And yet these things are hidden in them. Think about this as an example. When Adam and Eve fall, prior to sin... They interacted with God every day. 
in this fellowship. When they fell, they made fig leaves to cover themselves and they ran from God. What was that? They knew they had violated, of course, the, the, the written command that God specifically told uh, Adam to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that conviction caused them to know that this holy God of theirs they had sinned against. But as, even as you move forward in the first story of the first family in Genesis chapter 4, Cain is asked by God once anger and murder rose up in his heart in jealousy, he, he kills his brother Abel. And God looks at Cain in Genesis chapter 4 and says this, if you do well, he knew what he was supposed to do, would you not have been accepted? Now, once again, there's no law, of course, written against um, murder. And yet, of course, we know that God's moral law teaches us that you shall not commit murder. Law and gospel are very important terms to God. Listen to, to Michael Horton's words on these truths that he calls God's words, law and gospel. Everything in the Bible that reveals God's moral expectations is law. Adam knew it. He knew what was prescribed to him. As did Cain. Everything in the Bible that reveals God's saving purposes or His saving acts is gospel. Well, what do you have? You have the entire Bible. God has two very important words. Law and gospel. God loves His law. And so we as God's people certainly should love His law. God loves his gospel. Both converge on the cross of Jesus, where God's holiness and justice and wrath is poured out on his Son, where God's love for his gospel is found through his grace and mercy that is offered in Jesus. The cross of Christ cost God much. It cost God much. We preach the law. We preach the law here, but we never are to preach the law without the gospel. Listen to the words from Augustine, why the church should preach the law. The law bids us as we try to fulfill its requirements. And we become wearied in our weakness under it to know how to ask God for the help of grace. The law is to be preached to reveal to the person that they need Jesus. The past ten weeks as we've walked through the law, through the ones that I preached on, through the ones that Pastor Alex preached on. 
Whether I was preaching it or I was sitting there, I found myself in my inner man. I'm guilty. The law knows no grace. The law tells us of God's judgment on sin. Grace is found in the gospel. The law and gospel are important components because there's even elements of Christianity that say don't preach the law because you're going to wound people's consciences and just bid them to come and trust in Jesus. That is a dangerous false gospel. The gospel is necessary and it's, and it's more beautiful than we even recognize because of the, the harsh things that come through the law. God's moral law. We preach the law. We preach the law because according to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Can help you to understand, in fact, that you are a sinner. We preach the law because according to James chapter 2, verse 10, please listen to this. If you are guilty in one point of the law, we are guilty of all of the law. We preach the law, according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, to show sinners their need of a Savior. We preach the law, not just for that, but according to Galatians 3.22, you are in damnation unless you take Jesus by faith. You might be sitting there thinking, Damnation of what? Damnation of hell itself. Of eternal punishment. Under God's wrath. Hell is not separation from God. Because God is omnipresent. Hell, in its worst depiction, is being under God's uh, wrath apart from any grace. The sinner who rejects Jesus will find no grace in hell, but they will see God's wrath forever. The law commands. The law knows no grace. The law brings wrath when violated. Why? Because our God's holy. He's just as holy as he is in this context, as he is today, he does not change. We preach the law because of God's holiness and God's justice. People face the judgment if they reject Jesus. Listen, we don't preach the law to beat people up. But we pray through the crushing nature of the law, that people will turn in repentance to Jesus. That's why we preach it. That's why we don't deny it. That's why we don't carve up the Bible 
from beginning to end why this is God's law. And God loves his law. He loves his law. We preach the law so sinners will turn to God. When they become burdened in their sin, as I know I did, as I know most in this room did, to see their, na- uh, uh, their need because of their sin, burdened that they would seek the forgiveness of God. The law enslaves, the gospel frees. And we've just looked at some really bad news. We just read from, Pastor Alex did this this morning, of honestly some really bad news. And just so you know this, who Paul addresses there is basically every human being because he addresses the pagan, he addresses uh, the, the Jew that thinks they're automatically right with God, and he, wrestle, uh, he addresses the moralist that don't think they need religion, and he addresses the religionist. You see, my friends, all people that die do not go to heaven. Only those who receive Jesus by faith, that's the good news of the gospel The good news of the gospel, if you sit here this morning in rejection of Jesus, is that you can come to know Christ. But you must accept the fact that you are enslaved to your own sin. Jesus says these words when he he embarks his ministry, when we preach through the book or the gospel of Mark. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. The law is bad news, though it is holy and righteous and good. Repentance is the reckoning of my sin over against God's moral law. If you do not know Jesus, you must come to grips with you have sinned against a holy God. And apart from receiving Jesus by faith, you face eternal punishment in hell. We pray on our part, we beg that you'll come to Jesus because the gospel is good news. Jesus himself is the good news. Jesus would tell his disciples, go and and preach Repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name. That's why we've gathered this morning as believers in Jesus. You that do not know Jesus, it's our prayer that you see the beauty of Jesus. You see the wonder of the gospel. Because unlike what King Charles said, God does not accept all faith. That's a lie. And had the Westminster Council of nearly 400 years heard of it, they would have decried him a heretic. All people don't go to heaven. God doesn't receive anyone. And I will tell you this, in my 30 years 
We've had universalists. A universalist is that God just saves everyone become a part of our body for a season. That all people go to heaven is a lie. It's a lie. To make people feel comfortable, I want you to understand this, until you get uncomfortable, you'll never understand the beauty of the gospel. It's through the wickedness of who we are that we begin to see the holiness of who God is and the beauty of who Jesus is. You need Jesus. Jesus would say of himself that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father but by him. There is bad news, but please see the good news. Christ will forgive you. The story doesn't end in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Paul goes on to describe the beauty of Christ and how he saves. Christ will forgive you of your sin. You can be saved from judgment and the wrath that's going to come. Why? Because our God is merciful to sinners. He's merciful. But you cannot resist him. Jesus, by his active obedience and his passive obedience, has saved God's people. In Christ's active obedience, our Lord was born under the law. Galatians chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus would say, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus lived the moral law in word, thought, and deed. Jesus never sinned. He never sinned, not one time. We need Christ's active obedience because not only do we need our sin forgiven, we must have a righteousness to, to merit favor with God that we cannot attain in who we are and what we do. Jesus was born on the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. And Jesus, in his passive obedience, paid the penalty of the law. Galatians chapter 3. Jesus bore the curse of the law. Colossians chapter 2. And he then canceled the debt for those who would believe. You sat here this morning, and I know I've always asked myself, what must I do, Lord? You should ask yourself this. It's a most important question. What must I do, having been moved with the truth that I'm a sinner and desiring repentance to turn to Christ, you must receive Jesus by faith, and that faith has three things. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Truth is, you can be born in a Christian home and possess the knowledge 
and have the ascent, and man, that would have identified me. In my understanding of the gospel, there's never been a time in my life where I didn't recognize, man, I was a sinner. As I had faithful parents that took me to church. There never was a time in my life where I doubted that Jesus was both Savior and Lord. The knowledge was given to me by the faithful churches I grew up in and also faithful godly parents. I never doubted those things that God was holy, that I was a sinner, and that I needed a Savior. But please listen to this, because some of you have been in church maybe a long time, but if you're honest, you've rejected Christ until you trust in Christ alone to save you. You are lost, and you will face Christ in the judgment. Take Jesus by faith. What does it mean to trust? It means to rest in Christ alone as the only one through his life, death, and resurrection can save you from your sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 declares this then. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is by Christ alone through faith alone. And our prayer for you is don't delay this any longer. Take Jesus by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for the law. Because it's by the law that we know that we are guilty. It's by the law that we know we're in need. It's through the law that I came to understand I was under your judgment. And as Pastor Alex read from your word, Lord God, this morning from Romans, the whole world is accountable to you and is guilty before you. We pray this morning, God, that your spirit would give life to bring someone to the understanding that they are lost in their sin and that God does not accept everyone, that Jesus must be received by faith and faith alone, that life is found, forgiveness of sin is found alone in Jesus. Help those this morning now to receive your Son by faith. We pray for this and we ask for this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, you may rise and go receive the elements.